Welcome to Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. I'm Tony Mangus. This is Titanic Reaction. And I'm here with four punk therapists and a friend called Spike. I've blacked out years of my life with, done ridiculous amount of drugs, fought Nazis, been attacked by Nazis, fought cops, been attacked by cops, and they all ended up becoming therapists. So does everybody want to introduce themselves? I'll start. My name is Pete Normal. I live in Oregon, and I am a clinical social worker. My name is Elizabeth. I live in Portland, and I'm a therapist. All right. I'm going by Pigpen today. I live in Oakland, California. I'm a licensed clinical social worker specializing in working with folks dealing with trauma and post-traumatic stress. In the era of which uh, Tony spoke, I was spotty fucking bastard. I'll be going by that name today. Uh, licensed marriage and family therapist from Oregon. Also uh, with a specialization in treating PTSD. So before you were a therapist, how did you get into punk and where did you live at the time? Well, how I got into punk is sometimes not super simple to describe. Uh, I lived in McMinnville, Oregon. Um, I probably got into punk mostly through being a skater, reading Thrasher magazine. Um, you know, you start to be like, well, skaters listen to punk. I should probably check out some punk. Um, I was already listening to, I got really into the cure. Um, when I was, I guess in seventh grade and uh, a cousin of mine turned me on to them. And that was just like revelatory, you know, just, Oh, there's something else out there that isn't top 40 radio. So yeah, from there, I, you know, as I said, I started looking at Thrasher and thinking like, hmm, maybe I should check out what this punk thing is about and started um, checking things out a little bit. I didn't really know how to find punk, you know, like I remember going to uh, the Payless uh, drugstore or whatever and seeing the combat rock and being like, I think that's punk. And so I bought that. And uh, I liked it, but actually it wasn't until I met Spot in middle school that I actually really listened to real punk bands. We were sitting outside, uh, I guess he was eighth grade, I was seventh grade, sitting outside waiting to get picked up, like some of the last kids there, and we just started talking. And I think he saw that I had a Cure t-shirt and was commenting on it, and... Uh, he was knew I was a skater and was kind of interested in getting into skating. And we just started talking and really got personal super, super quick talking about what our lives were like. I, I have a feeling we'll get more into this, but um, yeah, our moms knew each other, uh, turned out, and we started just hanging out and he started making me mixtapes and I guess that's about the shortest answer I can give you in terms of how I got into punk. My story also has to do with The Cure. Um, nice. 
Yeah. So um, it was like summer going into ninth grade. And I also got into like the Karen Susie pretty early, like uh, elementary school. Um, I had some older sisters that listened to it and um, a pretty cool best friend whose dad liked really good music. And so he'd drive us around and blast Susie and stuff when we were in like sixth grade. Yeah. So summer going into ninth grade, I was super depressed and, um, didn't feel like I had any friends, um, because my friends kind of stopped being friends with me, but I had one friend who, um, knew that I was really into the cure and knew this guy who liked to wear lipstick and was British and, um, looked like Robert Smith, quote unquote. And she was like, you have to meet him. So she gave him my number and we, we talked on the phone or whatever. And we decided to like meet up. And, um, so I went and met up with him downtown San Diego and, uh, which is where I'm from, from Chula Vista actually, but, um, took the bus to downtown. Actually, no, I think my mom dropped me off in downtown. And then he was like friends with like 20 people that were like all hanging out downtown and, uh, they were all punks. And, um, you know, I was like this outsider, um, you know, didn't know how to dress to go and hang out. I think I kind of verged on a goth kind of thing going on. Um, and it didn't matter. Like I got there and I was like, Oh, they don't care what I'm wearing and what I'm doing. And I can be weird. I can be, you know, awkward. I don't have to say anything if I don't want to like, you know, so there was like this immediate sense of freedom, especially after feeling so unaccepted and so, um, you know, unhappy. And then to finally just be like, Oh, okay, maybe this is like home. So that's, that's how it started for me. And the music was, um, you know, such a small part of that in the beginning. It was, I mean, I would go to every show every weekend. I'd look in the paper and be like, I don't even know what any of these bands are, but I'm going. So, um, like the Che Cafe in San Diego was a big venue. And, um, so I would go there every weekend and Soma was another like venue that was much shadier. Um, so that had way more like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. Um, but, um, yeah, so the music, I think for me, like the cure and like kind of the goth stuff at first. And then, um, really it was when I found kind of, um, more like female fronted, um, bands that I was super inspired, like listening to like penis envy for the first time and listening to bikini kill for the first time. And, um, and that just like blew my brains and, um, were, was super inspiring. What were some of those bands that you got to see that you didn't know who they were? Yeah, what were some of those? Any it good ones of, accidentally? No, it was a lot of like local, you know, like my friends were in the bands, like 14 year olds, oh, okay. you know? Um, okay. Yeah. So my friends were in a band called Wing Dilly. That was uh, a big one. And uh, later, The Beautiful Mutants. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of um, just kind of horsing around. Kid, kid stuff. How about you? So my, I was, I was a little Hesher, and my dad hated that. <laughs> and he actually, well, I like, bet he loved punk, man. Well, he <laughs> he want he preferred me to be into punk 
than metal. Oh, okay. Um, but he didn't. He didn't have any, like my dad has always listened to a lot of different kinds of music. And for him, it's just music. It's just interesting music. So he was uh, like, I remember being younger and him having uh, records that would, you know, like I remember being a a little kid and being like, oh, too drunk to fuck. Giggle, giggle. Um, And he listened to like a lot of two-tone ska and The Clash and so he was trying to get me to listen to that instead of Motley Crue and Iron Maiden. Uh, and when I was like 13 or 14, he was like, you, the butthole surfers are coming to town. You should go see them. God. And he drove me to Pine Street Theater, dropped me off and and picked me up later. And I and I got there and I was like holy shit who are all these freaks and like they look like i feel yeah i have to be part of this um and you know was like super shy and super nervous and you know like eventually got up the nerve to start talking to people and you know some some kid told me i should go to second avenue records and that's a great place to find out about shows and and stuff like that and yeah, and then I I became a punk, and my dad freaked out because he didn't want me to to be anything. He just wanted me to listen to music he liked better. What a first was show! That, yeah, was that the era? Was that when like Smegma was opening and like smashing pigheads and throwing it in the crowd? Wow. Yep, that, I think that was the show. Uh, I think this yeah, explains they, they the had, focus they had, like, on high, PTSD. Highway disaster movies projected on the back. And, oh yeah. yeah. I, I went to one of those when I was 14 and I mean, I literally life altering, so, you know, same thing. Like they would always have the hell cows and, and smegma open and it'd be like three shows in a row at Pine street where it's just the same opening bands. Yeah. They had like, you know, sex change operations being projected <laughs> behind and, uh, like interspliced with Charlie's Angels episodes, and it was really fucking loud. And I was just like, "Well, I, I, I don't. This, this is. I mean, I feel like I was on drugs, but I don't think I was. I think the yeah. intention was to be on drugs, but never happened. But it didn't still need was just, Yeah, no, no, no. Wow, that's that's amazing that that was your first show. So, well, I say that's really my first show. Technically, I saw UB40 and Madness with my parents when I was like nine, but I don't really count that. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So wow. I got into punk. It was it was an accident. I was uh, I was at the local record store, also in McMinnville, and the I would go in there and just like you know talked to the owner. He was kind of educating me about heavy metal, which was my area of interest. And one day he pulls out this cassette and hands it to me. And he's like, you might want to check this out. And it was, uh, never mind the Bullocks. And I took it home and I put it in and I was immediately like, this is like, I don't like this. Like it's not polished. It's got this weird energy to it. Uh, so I kind of put it away for a long time, but then I, I went back to it at some point and it just scratched some itch that I didn't know I had. I was like, these people feel the same way I do about how fucked up everything is. And, um, and I just really connected with that and just kind of went down these rabbit holes with like different bands. And, and I, I think I really liked this, this like 
having an encounter with people that that felt acutely like how destructive this culture that I was in actually is. It was just like, I felt so nourished by that, you know, and, and then, you know, of course, like all of the, the pushback that, you know, one gets as a punk and, you know, that sense of us versus them that, you know, Pete and I and our other, our two other punk friends, you know, walking down the street with all of our all of our gear and uh yeah and can you that. explain it because it was bad enough in portland i can't imagine what mcminville was like <laughs> yeah it was pretty gnarly it was pretty gnarly it was like lots of epithets you know thrown out the window you know the worst kinds of uh, uh you know stigmas um and you know people chasing after us and like you know threatening to kick our asses and stuff it's interesting to think about now because it really, it really took a kind of commitment, you know, to, to show up in that way. Cause it was, you kind of were like, I mean, this is, this is hyperbole, but it, it felt like you were kind of going to war with society. You know, when you charged your hair and you studied your stuff out and you like tore up your, your, you know, your gear and stuff. It was like, this is like <laughs> battle. You know, it's like committing, it felt, it really felt like committing to something, you know? And I know that it's really kind of goofy, you know, from like a, a context of, you know, now seeing all of the unearned privilege that I also had at that time, but it was just like this sort of attempt to, to throw something in, in, in everybody's face and be like, this shit isn't working. Like, I don't fucking buy it. And then there's just like a, a real power to that, I think. And I just want to, add on some context um the pete normal punk name that i've carried i guess to some extent to this day part of it was just an aesthetic thing where i, I wasn't super drawn toward charging my hair but uh you know i i will admit that having spent several years of my childhood just merciless mercilessly bullied i was kind of like you know what I'm really happy to have found punk. Um, I'm really happy to have found this small group of comrades of like-minded individuals. But I was like, I'm not going to fully go there with all the accoutrement as it were. Uh, and so the, you really my, missed out. Uh, my three friends absolutely did. And therefore, they called me Pete normal. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Even though I'm actually pretty weird. <laughs> that was your punk. That was, that was, you were punk in the punk. Yeah. yeah it truly, truly. Yeah, I guess so. But, uh, but you know, uh, I mean, I was still walking down the street, getting the same things, uh, verbally hurled at me and yeah, we had to navigate some, some unpleasantry, but it was so much easier doing it in a group than by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, was just thinking about, cause I wasn't a spiky punk either, but I, um, you know, had really short hair and wore pants and kind of had a more androgynous look during that time. And that was kind of equally unsafe to be in the world looking like that. Um, so it didn't take much, you know, or even just like having black nail polish, you know, like freak, you know what I mean? Like 
Brianna worth blackmail, you know, like mainstream people. Now that's like totally acceptable. But like, you know, it was the littlest, I think, I don't know if this is specifically about gender or not, but the littlest um, divergence from the norm or from, you know, what being a girl is supposed to be like and what you're supposed to look like and how you're supposed to act and like not wearing deodorant, not, you know, all of the things, not shaving my legs. Um, you know, uh, there was definitely, you know, you were scrutinized for that by everybody, by women and men. And with all the shit that everybody got from you, from the woman's side of it, and then like all of us getting chased down the street, getting yelled, all kinds of shit, and having to, you know, fight groups of loggers. What kept you around? What about punk kept you around that made it worth it? I mean, for me, it was safety. I mean, it was fun, but, um, you know, there was always something to do and just not having any supervision whatsoever was awesome. <laughs> Especially in San Diego during that time, because it was just like, there were all these abandoned buildings everywhere. You could just like, hey, let's go break into a building and hang out and have a party or whatever. So, um, you know, there was that, but then there was like, okay, like as a queer identified, you know, person, woman, um, these people see me and know me and like, and I owe so much to them for having that, you know, like that this is, we are all here to support each other. And it did feel really supportive. And even though there were lots of problems when you look back at it and the sexism and the misogyny, you know, um, at the time it was so much better than the alternative. Yeah. If I, if I had to sum it up, I'd just say community. Same. Feeling belonging, feeling, and, and the safety, you know, we're, we're talking about getting chased down the street. Like I felt like that was going to happen to me anyway. I might as well have other people. <laughs> exactly. I'm just wondering if you can kind of explain what that means. Cause we're also talking about this in the context of experiencing a lot of violence for belonging to this group that makes you feel safe. Pete had mentioned being bullied. Um, and that was definitely true for me. Uh, and I think part of the reason, I mean, I guess kind of bringing it full circle. Uh, I think the trauma that I experienced as a child is part of what opened me up to being bullying. And then of course, was it in itself its own trauma? And I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I belonged. So I was looking for belonging and community and just being around anyone else that was accepting of me felt safer even if that association exposed me to other violence, because it was still be it was still better to be exposed to violence with others than to be alone with it. I mean, I, I guess I never thought of it as safety necessarily, but yeah, the the community. Um, I I became a completely different person once I found punk. Once I found the community of punk, um, you know, it started with our four friends that that. You know, it was Spot and two other guys in McMinnville. And then, you know, kind of built from there as we started going to to shows. Actually, uh, I was recalling this. Um, the first punks I met outside of McMinnville were Fred Landine and Mike Aragon at a Love and Rockets show. Spot and I had gotten free tickets, came up. My mom drove us up because I had won tickets off of the local college radio station. We got to the show. 
It's my first time at Pine Street. Uh, definitely a different vibe than the hardcore shows I went to there. And we just immediately saw Fred and Mike and they kind of immediately saw us and we were all just like, what are you doing here? You know, like it was the first time that other punks that I didn't know recognized me as a fellow punk. And that was just magical. And we exchanged phone numbers and um, yeah, they had gotten free tickets too. And I remember Fred was like throwing cheap psychology stickers. It was their band that they had at the time uh, out into the crowd and, I was like, oh man, this guy's just like, he knows how to make stickers and he's just doing this whole promotion thing for the band. And I, I didn't know anything about that. Um, and it was just really cool to, okay, these guys are a few years older. I mean, I was in eighth grade at the time and those guys were probably later in high school. And yeah, we exchanged numbers. I remember Fred and Todd Noreen and maybe some other dudes just drove to McMinnville like hey we want to see what McMinnville punk is like they just drove and came and hang hung out with us that's where it went from just like me and my group of friends feeling like us against the world to like holy shit there's this whole world outside of McMinnville that we could connect with and that are I'm sure I wouldn't have used its word at that time but allies you know people that I can call up and like feel like they have my back and they're interested in what I'm doing and I'm interested in what they're doing. And it's this thing of like, Hey, we're going to play shows together. And so long story short. Yeah. I mean, the community element of being a punk is super, super important to me. And even though, you know, I'm not particularly active, active in the scene and, and what scene is there right now, because there aren't even shows really. Uh, it's, you, you also have a shared understanding when you talk to other punks, like it's just so much easier. You don't really have to explain yourself if, you know, if they're yeah. sort of in the same realm of type of punk, obviously there's a bunch of different types, but that shared understanding, you, you feel like, Oh, we probably know some of the same people. And often you do, you know, it's just, that can feel really assuring, really comforting. Yeah. I'm appreciating the question uh, because, you know, I, I think I don't connect as much with that sense of, of safety. I think that what I loved about punk was that it was fucking edgy and it was like exploring this extreme and really going into this confrontation with things that I, I didn't understand and was starting to realize that I just hated and, you know, for me, the punk and politics were, you know, bedfellows from pretty early on. I think there was a phase where I was just kind of into the aesthetics and like, you know, wanted to be part of a counterculture. But pretty quickly, I was I found that, you know, the sort of nascent political longings that I'd always had were shared by all these other people and that we were we were wanting to, like, transform the world. And, you know, there was a, there was a period of time where I was like, I think that me and my friends are actually going to do it. I think that we're actually going to change the world. You know, it felt so real Absolutely. and there was so much passion. And, um, and it was like, you know, almost trying to dismantle the safety that had been given to me as a, you know, middle-class white guy and to try to figure out like how to, how to undermine, 
you know, the, the structures that were, that had created this world that was just so utterly bankrupt on its face. Uh, so it's interesting, like I, I, I too, you know, derived so much resource from all of our connections and that sense of, of affiliation and like going to shows in San Diego, you know, randomly, I went to like a, I remember it was this super weird bill where it was like agnostic front, uniform choice, and then some anarcho band, <laughs> so, you know, with that era where just like everybody would play shows together, oh, yeah. you know, it wasn't the, the weird uh, factional, factionalization. And then just, you know, being able to show up in this town and, and connect with people and, you know, get invitations to stay at their house and stuff like, but that was all super meaningful. But then there was this other element to it for me, which was just like this, this confrontation that felt really unsafe and, and, and really mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Almost like a, like there's a polarity for me there too, of like the safety, but then also kind of pushing to the edges and almost a safety. I don't know, being able to do that around people that you really trust, being able to explore what those edges are, what, you know, in so many different areas. And I wonder too, if there's an element where you're kind of anticipating all of this negativity and violence anyway. So you might as well embrace this community who's going to be there for you through those experiences. What was your hometown like when you got into punk? Well, I mean, we touched on McMinnville a bit. I think, you know, definitely um, got a sense that there wasn't a lot of resources, um, for, for punk rockers, although there was a couple of record stores, I mean, maybe one really by the time I actually got into punk. Yeah, not a lot of punks there. Um, incidentally, I think the first punk I ever actually met was Quentin Case, who I went to uh, elementary school, your old bandmate. And uh, yeah, we I remember we talked briefly in elementary school. Um, but yeah, until... Until I met Spot, uh, you know, there I wasn't encountering punks. Um, it was a town of about 12, 13, 14,000 people who, uh, you know, were relatively conservative. It was uh, in a rural area. You know, this is kind of before the sort of winery boom. So it was kind of the aftermath of um, the logging industry. There was a lot of farmers around there. Um, yeah, definitely kind of a conservative vibe never really felt like a fit in there definitely felt like more more of a big city kid i guess and so yeah it was it was not great but uh you know again meeting the punks uh changed all that for sure one of the cool things about it for me is that the the number of freaks was so small that we all hung out together Absolutely. So it was like our, our, our social world was like, I mean, you know, there was this, this sort of cadre of very much punk identified people, but then we would hang out with the goths and we would hang out with the skaters and, you know, the kind of weird metal, metal league. I don't know what you would call those kids, those older kids that were like kind of the bad kids. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We, we tried to, we tried to like until, river's edge type kids. Yeah. We tried to and, until they would like, uh, lose their minds and threaten to kick our asses over who knows what, uh, right. burglarize our houses. And stuff. 
<laughs> How did you guys get out? We moved to Portland yeah. as soon as we could. I moved out of my mom's house on my 16th birthday. We negotiated this thing where uh, she made me get my GED. That was the rule. So I got my GED and moved into a, a collective house, uh, like, you know, the next day. And then I was just, I basically told my mom like, Hey, I will stay in high school. I will get passing grades, but I, I pretty much need you to let me do whatever the hell I want. And that involved basically going up and hanging out at spots house for like entire summers and on the weekends and, you know, trying to do our band from there. And, um, you know, in the meantime, we were getting into all kinds of stuff that, you know, maybe teenagers, well, I don't know about should or shouldn't, but, uh, you know, sometimes it was pretty sketchy. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was how I got out. You know, it felt like I was still there, uh, in terms of, my room was there and I was still going to high school, but yeah, I would just leave there as often as I could. And, and my mom was actually really supportive of that. I think she kind of just knew that that place was not for me. And big Ben, what was your hometown like when you got into punk? I, I, I feel a little, a little guilty saying this after hearing about, about McMinnville at the time, <laughs> but like Portland in the eighties felt like a little cow town. Yes. You know, it was, it seemed, you know, it wasn't a place that people moved to like, like it is now, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the hippest dense destination in the country. You know, it was still pretty common to see people, well, maybe walking in cowboy boots and cowboy hats, usually driving in a huge truck yelling, you know, fucking faggot at you. That was very popular in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that's much. still so much. So yeah, that. That was a lot of, and you know, and of course, Portland in the eighties was, had a ton of Nazis too. And, uh, I, I could go on forever. I won't, you know about it. <laughs> um, I graduated high school in 2000. So this is nineties, okay. uh, mid, mid to late nineties, San Diego. So at that time and Chula Vista, um, you know, suburb really close to the border, not a lot going on. Actually, there was tons of straight edge hardcore from Chula Vista. Like big, there was actually like at my high school, there was like the straight edge wall that like there were tons of straight edge kids, but they didn't want to talk to me because uh, I wasn't straight edge <laughs> because I looked boyish and whatever. Yeah, Chula Vista was its own thing. And then San Diego was going through an interesting transition where there were like I was saying, like downtown, there were all these, there was this whole area that was just like abandoned. And um, so that was, you know, obviously one of my hobbies. <laughs> I've talked about it several <laughs> times already, but I love breaking into abandoned buildings. And uh, and even in Chula Vista, actually, at the time, my friend Tara, who's a singer for Durga, we used to, she would drive us around these um, suburban neighborhoods that were getting built up. And uh, like over the edge style, we'd like break into the, you know, new, new construction. And just like, we weren't even doing anything. We'd just go and be like, whoa, here's the bathroom. I'm like, Oh, cool. We'd do a little graffiti or whatever and leave. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was a huge, huge city with a lot of empty spaces or abandoned spaces. Um, and then as far as, you know, the punk scene in San Diego proper, I felt like we, people in my age group all kind of knew each other too, even though it was a big city, the scene seemed pretty small and you would like chase down somebody 
who you had never seen before. You know, if they were wearing a, a shirt or something of a band that you liked, you're like, hey, wait, where are you from? They'd be like, oh, I just moved here yesterday. I'm from Tulsa or whatever. And you'd be like, cool, come hang out tonight. Meet us at Presidio Park at the Pentagram, you know, 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, so oh, we should have put was... a pentagram at Paranoia Park. They really do have a pentagram at there's a whole you like walk up these like 10 stairs and there's this like little space that has a pentagram like in, in bricks. Yeah, it's super rad right across from the uh, it's a mission, actually. Um, yeah, we hung out at the pentagram every weekend. Um, and uh, but there were a lot of Nazis also um, going to shows. That was always a safety issue. Uh, we started a chapter of anti-racist action in um, probably 98 to kind of try to combat some of that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, is war from that area? Yeah. Oh, God. And in fact. I remember, um, yeah, I remember that from the yeah, 80s, too. It was fucking scary. I mean, you'd go to a library and you'd pull out a book, um, you know, something like Black Panther Party, you know, History of Black Panther Party, and you'd open up the book and a war flyer would drop out you know they, they knew the people to you know like oh radicals we just gotta recruit them and get them on our side or whatever so yeah, yeah there was a lot of um there was actually a show i went to god who played it was um big anti-flag um and di <laughs> i want to say was like headlining this was probably 90 eight or 99 and um all of a sudden the lights went up uh it's huge venue lights went up and uh whoever was on stage at the time was like oh we gotta stop the show two nazis just got stabbed and like the lights go up and there's blood all over the floor there had been all these punks from tj had come up from tijuana had come up for this show to fight these Nazis that they knew were going to be there. So there were like little kid sharps, like, I don't know, 10 year olds in the pit, just going nuts, like freaking out. And, uh, there were just fights all night long. It was not, but I remember walking outside and like the cops were there and, you know, fire department and stuff. And uh, yeah, some, some guy, he's got a swastika on his chest and he's like holding a bloody rag, you know? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my sister like it. went to pick me up she's like what the fuck i'm like haha <laughs> <laughs> that story ended good i thought it was gonna be some anti-racist that got stabbed oh no no, no. It, wow. i think it, it was like three or four nazis by the end of the yeah. night had had been stabbed and i Holy never shit. heard any casualties on the uh on the sharp side or the anti-racist side yeah so God, it lasted a long time there. By then, Portland was pretty Nazi-free other than some, like, people in the suburbs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They all moved to Chula Vista. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I remember even having, like, a crossed-out swastika. People would be like, why are you wearing that? We're like, what do you mean it's crossed out? You know, and they'd be like, no, but it's still, the symbol is still there. It's like, well, yeah, because there's Nazis still here. And people did not believe that. And it's been really interesting kind of circling back after everything that's come up in the last, you know, five years and being like, see, so, you know, my yeah. parents and stuff told you. 
<laughs> I was fighting real Nazis, guys. We were too. But by that time, we could relax and just drink. Uh, basically. <laughs> so we thought. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's play a song. One of you guys want to talk about malcontent? I'm not sure. I, I didn't write that song. I believe that was Spot. And I actually think that recording, I don't believe Pigpen's in the band anymore, but we were still friends and he would just come up and, and do the, do a song with us whenever we played. Um, yeah. Uh, that was, that was, you know, what, 19, I want to say late 1990. I think our band had just gotten back together and, um, you know, we were, basically little kids. <laughs> I, I, I would have been 16, I think, I guess. Yeah. So that would probably made spot 17. And I guess you were around 17 to is it anti-money? Anti-money. Yeah. yeah. I hate the paper pieces that control our lives. from a show it was actually an ARA benefit uh, I believe the detonators also played maybe unamused was just starting then so they might have been on that bill and uh, yeah it was at PSU um, Smith Center and I think our I think we had broken up after just an absolute debacle of a show where uh, we had, played in Corvallis and at least two of us were on acid. Um, and then one other member was very, very drunk and broke somebody else's amp. And, uh, yeah, we decided to break up the band, but then somebody called us and said, Hey, are you guys still playing the ARA benefit? And we were like, Oh, I, I guess we could. And we just went ahead without, one person uh <laughs> and so yeah we uh that was at psu we were very under practice and um 
Pigpen was no longer in the band at that time, but he would come up and do some of the songs uh, that he had sang with us. Uh, we were kind of in a transitional period in terms of our sound and whatnot. But uh, but yeah, he at least came up and did that song and uh, I happened to record it. So yeah, the recording is just complete garbage, but um, it's, it's documentation, I guess. So. The, the, so there was this, there's a period of time where I was on a lot of drugs and kind of like thought that rudimentary peni was just the answer, you know, <laughs> that like super straightforward songwriting and, you know, just a few words in the song, just like get to the fucking point, you know? So yeah, the, the lyrics are like, I'm anti-money, I'm anti-greed, I'm anti-people having more than they need. You know, it's like, it's, it's just all right there. And we had a number of songs at that point that kind of had these like really simple song structures and very pithy lyrics. And it just kind of felt like this part of the uh cutting through the dross and you know just so what were the first punk shows you went to the first punk show i went to and god this is a story that could go on forever so let me do what i can to really <laughs> narrow it down uh because it's a story uh first punk show was the accused at pine street with oily bloodmen opening and, um, yeah, I, I had tried to go to punk shows before then, but I mean, I was in eighth grade and, you know, lived an hour outside of Portland and basically my mom wouldn't let me, and, but apparently she, that night decided that it was cool that I got into a car with like a, some beat up old muscle car with uh, spot and like four other dudes who were way older than us. And, um, they were all drinking and, uh, yeah, we drove up to the show, got in like a pretty serious car accident on the way to the show. Um, when the driver got out of the car, uh, the driver of our car got out, uh, a, a literal 40 of like Budweiser fell onto the ground, uh, onto, and it was like on highway 99, right by tiger getting onto the freeway. It was a whole thing. And the lady was so nice. She was just like, are you all okay? We freaking sideswiped her. Like we were all going very fast and, uh, yeah, we ended up, she just, didn't really care. It was very, very strange. She just like went on about her business and we pulled over and each took turns with, a like a tire iron trying to smash the car back in place so that we could get to the show. Uh, so, so that the body wasn't rubbing on the tire. It was a whole thing. We got to the show and, um, I mean, you know, granted, this is a long time ago and I might be misremembering, but there, I would say nearly half the audience was neo-Nazis or something, uh, you know, sympathizers at the least. And, uh, yeah, it was horrific. Um, I, I definitely remember leaving that show feeling like, yeah, I might, I might hold off on this whole going to hardcore shows thing. Um, luckily I, I, got right back in very soon after and 
went to some great shows, uh, that weren't quite as insane, but, um, yeah, it was very educational for sure on, on multiple levels. That was an awful era for Portland punk shows. Shows yeah. were terrifying. Oh God. No, I mean, I just, I will share one detail, which was that, um, you know, there were these guys that had t-shirts that said like Hitler youth and stuff like that. Like they were absolutely not messing around. And I remember one guy, I was kind of pressed up against the the barrier or maybe there wasn't a barrier like against the stage basically. And this guy right next to me screamed, fuck the Nazis. And I was like, proud of you, buddy. But like, I really hope they don't think that was me that yelled that. And, uh, and I swear to God, like five Nazi skinheads came over, grabbed him, dragged him to the shadows over by the wall and just pummeled the living shit out of him. And I mean, the adrenaline that was going through me at that moment and the fear. And I was just like, what world did I just walk into here? Like, this is pure insanity. Why, why is this the punk scene? Because the bands I'm listening to are not, from, from what I can tell, encouraging any of this. And so why is this happening at punk shows? Um, yeah, it, you know, and obviously uh, some of us work together to eradicate that from our scene, um, and which is an amazing story um, and really empowering thing. But uh, yeah, it was fucking horrific. Just like all tense thinking about it. <laughs> it was a really scary time in Portland. In the beginning, I just kind of went to shows and I don't remember a lot of, uh, a lot of names from back then, but, um, the first time I dropped acid at the ripe age of 14, I was at, um, a chaos UK show. At oh, Summer. damn. Yeah. It was wild. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was within that first year that I started going to shows. So shit was, uh, bananas. I gotta say, I wasn't sure if chaos UK was going to be mentioned in this podcast. I'm glad that it came up. Do you remember what year was that? Like when they're like, when they made a comeback, like with the 12 inch? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that was like 90 seven maybe awesome yeah 96 or 97 yeah i mean i, I honestly like i don't even remember watching them i was just like wandering around the venue on acid and that was, that was the highlight you know i mean to me the shows were i mean not until a little later did I actually go to see like when I saw neurosis for the first time and was just like, what the fuck? This is like so amazing and heavy and like you feel it in your body. And like, it was a whole visceral and visual experience, but the early days were just like, where's my, you know, Boone's strawberry Hill, like, <laughs> you know, are there drugs to take? Great. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's do that and roll around somewhere. So that was either we, we went to the show, but then really sat in the field across the street and like drank until the cops showed up and then we'd run, you know, everyone would scatter <laughs> and usually run into shelter at the show. So we would end up at the show, you know, 
just in time for the headliners. So I, my, my, it, for me, it was less about the bands in the beginning than um, just the the partying and wild times and running from the cops. I mean, that was a weekly occurrence. How about you, Spock? What were the first shows you went to? I have a I have a really poor memory. Uh, I was definitely at the one that uh, he was descri- describing. I think there was a. Uh, some earlier ones, I, I'm imagining Poison Idea was there. But I don't, I don't know if you remember, Pete, any earlier stuff than that yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember only because I couldn't go to those shows and I was so jealous. But yeah, I remember you telling me about Poison Idea, Death Midget, and Wehrmacht was like a few months before. And then did you end up going to that DRI at... Uh, it was like the employment division or something like that. Do you actually make it to that? Cause I know that was one that you had like sort of won us tickets to from that, uh, radio show, uh, on the college radio station, uh, shout out to Tom street of the crossover show. Uh, and yeah, but it ended up, I couldn't go, but I don't know if you ended up going to that or not. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen DRI. Okay. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, there were multiple ones where like, uh, I would get grounded, you know, and the, you know, consequence would be like not going to the show. So I don't, it's all, it's all kind of a blur. But I remember like multiple showdowns with my mom at the front door where I would just be like, I'm sorry, I'm going. And she'd be like, no, you're not. I would be like, mom, get out of the way. You know, sort of like low-key threatening violence, you know, so that I could get to the show. And she and she would just stand her ground, you know, this like not super imposing physical figure. And so then I would slink off to my room and go put on a record. I think that, that DRI show might have been one of those. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm also wondering if it wasn't Chaos UK and it was UK subs. That might have actually mm-hmm. been it. Yeah. Also a great show. Might be a punk snafu there. I got the two confused. But, uh, <laughs> Ooh, boy. Just had to come clear. Come clean. They're both good. Yeah. And you were high on acid, so mixing I up the two so UK high on names. Acid. Yeah. <laughs> it I seems like, understandable. I, I, like, I had extra somehow, and I sold some to some girl, and then I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't even believe, like, what happened to her? Is she okay? I still, every once in a while, if I'm really anxious i'll i'll think about that girl mm. <laughs> i do seem to remember seeing chaos uk in oakland in like 97 or 98 okay, yeah so, so maybe it was yeah. yeah big pen for sure but whole servers i already told that oh, story god yeah, yeah 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 but yeah i i remember a lot of like poison idea and accused shows at pine street theater that were always terrifying um yeah Good shows at Audio Addict. Is it the Blue Gallery? Yeah. Some good ones. No, yeah, those were still... as scary as the Audio Addict, though. <laughs> I mean, there was no Nazis there, but the place could have burned down at any point. Oh, God. Moment. Yeah. No or or the entire upper floor basement. could have collapsed on the basement. <laughs> we would have all died. There yeah. were definitely no Nazis, though. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. and and we tried to get that one band that I'm not going to mention uh, 
who maybe were Nazi sympathizers, uh, got got the guy from Audio Addict to cancel that show. And very soon after that, the fire marshals were called on Audio Addict. And it was probably related to the fact that ARA um, got their show canceled. And I'm, I'm sure like anybody who didn't like that venue just makes a call and, you know, yeah. it's shut down because it was, it was a fire trap, <laughs> a basement with one narrow stairway just going yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, Shows are so fun. That thought literally never crossed my mind. <laughs> Me either until someone pointed it out later. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think fire safety was high on my priority list at the time. <laughs> Has, has your meaning of punk changed over the years? Yes. I, I think at some point I questioned whether I was a punk anymore um, because, you know, as I grew older, as I was sort of less involved with the day-to-day um, punk scene, you know, as you go off and pursue other things like education or, you know, becoming a parent or these sort of things, you know, I guess I questioned like, is that what I still am? Um, and then I, I did have to kind of reevaluate, um, what, you know, being a punk meant to me. And, uh, I think, I think I, it's not, I don't think anymore that it's about, um, you know, how active you are and going to shows or booking shows. It's just, for me, it's just kind of in my bones at this point. Um, and you know, so I actually feel pretty comfortable calling myself a punk, even though, um, I'm not necessarily involved in sort of the day to day stuff. I, I do actually play in sort of a hardcore band still, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just know that I, I feel more comfortable around punks. I don't necessarily fit in that well with people who haven't at least been sort of punk adjacent. And so, um, yeah, I, the definition of punk for me, I'm not sure if I can actually put words to it in in brief, but, um, but yes, internally in, in my mind, uh, my conception of it has changed somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I mean, part of it is I had a very clear definition of what it was when I was a kid and I now would not fit that definition, but I still, my, you know, my closest friends and community are from the punk scene for the most part still identify as punks. I mean, I think all of the, all of the things that felt poignant about punk certainly the I mean spot was talking about the importance of politics involved with it you know I probably the importance of social justice in my life is is even more important now uh and I'm less likely to go to shows partly just because I go to bed at a ridiculously early hour uh but yeah. So I, I, I used to be like annoyingly orthodox in my definition of like what it means to be punk. If you didn't, you know, if you didn't listen to the right stuff, if you didn't wear the right stuff. Uh, and I, I recognize that that's bullshit now, but yeah, I think Pete's way of saying it, it's in his bones, like that fits. 
it's actually really faded now, but the, the tattoo on the inside of my, my lip says it runs deep. Actually, I guess it now says T runs D, but it was meant to say it runs deep and it is still true. I definitely feel a lot less like dogmatic than I did when I was younger, like especially getting into politics and um, like a lot of animal rights stuff when I was younger. Um, I don't, I, I still like have a connection to the idea that this is not how we should be living. <laughs> this is not like the course we are off course <laughs> and the hope that the people united will, we're going to get back on track. I, I keep that, um, that energy close to me. And, um, even though I have waves of doubt and fear and, you know, that this is just end times, um, there's still that kind of, you know, punk fire that like, no, fuck this doesn't have to be this way. And I'm, I'm just going to keep doing this and thinking this and saying this until I die. I love that. I, I don't, I don't really connect as much with the idea of being punk, uh, these days, my definition of it, it like, uh, pig pen was very, um, narrow and, uh, exclusionary. You know, there was a, there was a, a particular set of criteria that you had to meet to kind of um, you know, be meaningfully a part of the thing. It wasn't so much, it, dress code was sort of in there a little bit, but it was more like a, a rigorous commitment to, you know, being a part of this, this like, at least in name, um, this this revolutionary movement that I identified as, as being essentially what punk was. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I'm super not connected the last show that I went to, I don't remember my first show, but the last show, uh, punk show, was The Mob at Blackwater, uh, which was one of the best nights of my life. I mean, it was just, uh, they're still, they have just such a uh, special place in my heart, and it was incredible. Um, but yeah, that was like many years ago now, and, and I, you know, I, I feel pretty, pretty outside of the thing. Uh, Maybe a year or so ago, I had this realization that who Spot was would really hate me now. Like, if we had a discussion, he would be like, you are such a fucking sellout. It's pathetic. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, not because any of the core beliefs have changed, but just that willingness to, like, try to talk to people in a way that doesn't start with, fuck you, you're wrong. You know, to kind of starts with like, I wonder if there's some way that we can find common ground. You know, that was just like not part of the picture at all. Um, so it's it's been kind of a remarkable path, you know, to, to see one's approach to things change in that way. And I don't know, it's probably still punk in some way, but I guess that, that feels less tangible now. And everyone's gotten out of punk or as like kind of, drifted from punk in their own ways in their own years but in the time that you started to the time that you've been involved have you what are the positive changes you've seen i mean i guess just 
you know, on a practical level, or I don't know if it's practical, but, uh, obviously, you know, going back to those early years, you know, going to those early shows where it was just ridiculously violent to seeing, you know, in, in my time being super active in the punk scene, you know, seeing people come together united for a common cause such as eradicating Nazis from our scene. Um, you know, obviously that was a beautiful thing. That was a change. Um, and it's so interesting how that scene kind of, um, it was like, once we had that handled, everybody kind of went and did their thing seemed sort of less focused. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I was hanging out with got really into drug and alcohol abuse. Um, and so, you know, I think at that point I had to sort of, maybe that was the beginning of me changing my idea of what the punk scene was. Um, and you know, that was definitely at odds with a lot of people I knew, um, and their idea of it right now, I guess I don't even know what the current punk scene looks like, you know, like I live, I live in Eugene. Um, there's not much of a scene here. Um, I moved from, uh, Milwaukee to Eugene and, uh, Wisconsin to be clear. And there wasn't much of a punk scene there. It was a little bit, you know, there were some house shows. Um, but you know, I'm so disconnected with anything that would look like a real punk music scene that I don't, I don't know what it looks like now. Um, you know, I would love to get a better sense of that, but, but yeah, I mean, I sort of just don't think it's as big of a thing as it was, uh, back, back in the day. I'm not seeing as many signs that there are, is as much of a thriving punk scene, but I'm so willing to be proven wrong um, about that. I think uh, that's a big part of this is just being old and like <laughs> having my attention focused on other things. It's complicated for me. I, I think, I mean, you know, we can't, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, after, after green day, the definition for, you know, much of the culture of what punk is, has totally changed. Um, my friend, a friend of mine was saying the other day, like if, if you never got beat up for being a punk, then you're not. But, it, you know, there there are kids today who, you know, are finding acceptance in in their definition of punk. And, you know, and they're not getting beaten up and harassed on the street because it's kind of normal for them. And at the same time, I mean, I know in in Oakland, there is a thriving punk scene of of younger folks that's very much like what I remember. It's a lot of house parties, you know, it's not necessarily like, I don't know where, where it's happening necessarily. I'm not hearing about the shows, but, but I know they are happening. So I think a lot of places, the, you know, kind of the punk scene that I remember is still there on the underground. And at the same time, you know, you can go see green day at the arena. Um, I think one of the things that's really positive is I think a lot of the, a lot of the problems of the punk scene have been getting called out more. The, the racism, the sexism, the homophobia. I think people are getting much better at not accepting those things just as, you know, as we 
weren't accepting the Nazis being part of our scene back in the day. So I think that's a really good thing, even though there's still problems with it. Okay, so this next song is Elizabeth and Durga. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, Durga was um, a band formed by my good friend Tara, um, who's the singer. I actually joined like a week before they recorded that seven inch. They their keyboard player, um, for whatever reason, couldn't play anymore, and so they're like, "Hey, do you want to be in our band?" and like sure i don't want to write anything they're like yeah we've got all the songs and actually we're recording in a week so it's funny that i'm even on that recording because i had been in the band like seven days (laughs) before that happened so they really put a lot of um a lot of love into that band before i joined and i just got to kind of record and play some shows which was uh really fun i think we only were around for i don't know like six months or something maybe less maybe more and i don't remember why we even disbanded um i think maybe it was just like a project come to think of it that they worked on that they wanted to do record and then play some shows and be done with it the 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 rad part of the band though was um tara was like i don't know if you can find any live footage of her but she just would get this crazy look in her eyes and just like get right out into the crowd and she's really tall she's like almost i from what i remember like six feet and uh just really intimidating and in your face and you know the music was supposed to be very like disharmonious and um not easy listening so was fun and each song was so short you know so it was just like blast and then on to the next one and blast it out and so it was fun to play those shows and people would like people were really excited about it and uh yeah it was a good time And you'll burn and weep and suffer, 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 and you'll
weep and suffer and you'll burn and weep and suffer and you'll burn and weep and suffer and you'll burn and weep and many of these space alien civilizations should have technology at least superior to ours and would have colonized our whole solar system at least with mechanical robots and you'll burn and weep and suffer and you'll burn and weep and suffer and you'll burn and weep and suffer and be tortured by demons for all eternity.
that's the end of part one. We'll be back next week to talk more about pig heads and with an intro from a very special guest.